With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live.
Hello? Hi. Hello. It's Ursula. Hi, it's Liz. Hey, Catherine. How are you? I'm good. I heard about Friday. What was that? I oh, heard she right. went on oh, Friday. God. Yeah. <laughs> I got home from Hello. the party. Um. Hello. Hi. 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 It's Liz and Ursula here. Hey guys, sorry I was on for a while and then nobody nobody was there, so I just hung up and recalled because I thought something was wrong with my. Connection. I've never been the first. I know I've never been the first person before. I was. Um, <laughs> I thought I were the wrong thing. <laughs> um, uh-huh. Ursula, yeah, I got home from the party um, Friday night, and she, I like as soon as I closed my eyes, she texted me that she was having contractions and bloody show and. So we spoke throughout the night, and then we I met her at the hospital at 7 a.m. that morning, Saturday morning, and the baby was born at, like, 9.45. It was really perfect and great. It's a great job. Fast and awesome. Wow, that's so cool. I know. That was my first – that was my those, that was my experience with my two hospital births, which is not doing anything <laughs> for preparing me for what the norm is. It's <laughs> <laughs> good, though. But I'm so glad it went fast. I'm so sorry. I felt so bad when I heard that you had to go from like being out until like ten, ten thirty, and then you got. <laughs> you know what? This weekend was such a train wreck that it really felt like. <laughs> Mark was in the studio all weekend, and I had a backup sitter, but I knew, I knew she was going to go this weekend when he was gone. Mm. So it was sort of it like whenever it was going to happen was never going to be convenient. So. I'm really starting to understand that about this work. It, it only happens when, like, everybody's out of town and it's going crazy. Yeah. For me. For me. Yep, yep. Um, M.A., did you make it back to Syracuse okay? I did. I did. I left, like, Brooklyn at 7 this morning. I got up really early. And yeah. um, I just, like, got on the, grabbed the coffee and got on the road. So, did Tara um, fly out from, Tara flew out from the city? Mhm. Yeah, we both left together early this morning. She flew out, and um, yeah, it was, it was good. I figured I wanted to get back and pick up my kids from school and not be yeah. rushing, you know. Yeah. Was it a good group? Was it a good training? It was. It really was a great group. Oh, that's good. Yeah. 
just really. from the few I met, it seemed like really good, like fun personalities. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's really people are just excited. I you know excited to start a new path or a new career or um, integrated into their work. Um, so it was really such an amazing spectrum of experience too. Like you have totally. like hardcore old school doulas all the way down to like graduated college last week. I know. It was really amazing. And, and you know, just, yeah, they bring so, one woman was a sex educator and had been working, um, you know, in the trans community with sex, sex education. Another woman had been working with sex trafficking um, all over the world and is trying to, like, figure out how to doula pregnant women who have had sex trafficking um, oh, trauma wow. and experience. Like, it just was, you know, so many people come to this work with all different kinds of backgrounds and passion and um, it's just amazing. You know, it's just, I feel that yeah. way about every training. I really do, though. I mean, I have to say, I don't have that, like, you know, they're all, they're all really special. And, yeah. Yeah, I bet. You must be so wiped when they're done. Just having to talk like that for so many days. Yeah, right. It's kind of like a birth, you know? It's kind yeah. of like a yeah. type of birth. But for experience. five days. But for five days of prodroma labor. <laughs> yeah. Wow. No, so I, really, I really feel very energized. Like, I really enjoy it so much that, um, I mean, I feel tired right now, but not, not that tired, you know? Yeah. I kind of, I get so much, I learn so much, I get so much out of it, and we're changing our curriculum, always trying to improve it. So this was mm-hmm. exciting, too, because we added in a whole cultural competency component, too, right. that I've been working on, and I really, like, just, we're trying to just have more inclusive language on every front and um, really just kind of address so many different issues and integrate it more into mm-hmm. the actual curriculum. So... Mm-hmm. And Tara's doing had been working on a portion of the business piece too. So um, and doing doing different exercises too. So we got to kind of we try out different things and see what works. And, and so a lot of things really worked. So that was exciting too. You know, so just kind of go deeper. Mm-hmm. That's really great. Yeah. Wow. So. So tonight, I see two more people are with us, but I'm not sure who's there. I just joined a couple minutes ago. Who? Who was it? You guys said it at the same time, so I didn't catch it. Kelly's here. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm really disappointed that I didn't get to see you guys this weekend. I know. We had a sick family pet who passed on Saturday, so. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, the others, there'll be other get-togethers. I think one thing that came out of this week, too, is um, Simone, who's been in this role of, like, the DTI ambassador, really um, ha- has a few new dates for, for... I think she's really going to kind of take more initiative for doing more panel discussions and just get-togethers for DTI doulas and support groups and you know, I think there'll be more more chances to get together for for our community um, monthly. Great. Yeah, so um, so there'll be time. Yeah. Hi, someone just jumped on. Is it Ashley? 
Yeah, it is. I got out of work late, so I'm, like, walking home in the rain. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> Sorry, you're so getting rain on, though. No, no, it's okay. So if I have to, like, mute it, I'm listening. I am here. It's okay. I got a couple of messages saying, like, I'm running late or I missed a doctor's appointment. I can't pick it up, like, things like that. So I'm expecting a few people to jump on. And then typically, I'm not sure if it's because, if it's because of the nature of this call, but I noticed people will avoid getting on this call about this book. <laughs> no, it's definitely like it's a lot of it's a lot of content. It's a really big yeah. I've like been and it's, like, it's one of those it, it's one of those books where it's like you feel like you know everything and then you start reading it and you're like, oh my gosh, there's so much more. Yeah. <laughs> there's so much. I'm excited to hear everyone talk about it because I read it like right after the training, that was like the first one that I conquered, and then I read everything else after, and I feel like I totally forgot. So I'm excited to hear people yeah. talk about it. That yeah. was a, no, that was a good way to do it, though. Like get it done first. Yeah. Like I've been chugging along, uh, and I'm just like I read it out of I feel like read it out of order, and I was like I should have read it in order. So then I started over. Yeah. Like I. So I like think. Any- yeah. Totally. It's 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 pretty dense. Um, I think we can kind of think about talking about it and just um, I posted a few questions to guide the conversation um, you know to really kind of highlight like what were some of the things or some of the chapters that you really you learned new information how will you apply that information that wouldn't oh you know in a way that won't overwhelm the couples of people that you're working with um, and you know one way that I think it's I I use this book um, not just in the training, but in just my own practice. Is when things come up for clients, I can look it up as I go. You know? yeah. So somebody, um, I mean, and it's, of course there are certain things that will be taking place at a birth that they address. But you know, just to like refresh um, by topic is a really good way to use it more as a resource. Um, and then after every chapter, I really love how they have, you know, like a 10-step kind of like the bullet points on um, the main the main points. I'm trying to see. Yeah, it, was laid out. it was laid out well. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually bought the book twice. I like bought the hard copy because I'm like, I need the hard copy. That's how I, that's how I learn. Like I need a book in front of me. But mm-hmm. I spent so much of my time reading on the train that I went, then went back and, like, bought it for my Kindle just because, like, it is dense and I need to be, like, just, like, going through and reading it and need to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. So it's so funny because, like, I have, like, notes on my Kindle and then I have, like, the, the real books that I have, like, tabbed and highlighted. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The Kindle so option is great. I didn't know it had that because then you can actually, like, keep it in your birth bag if you want to, like, pull something up. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have been. It's really good. Um, That's great. Kind of, I, I started off with the hard copy, so then I kind yeah. of, like, floundering, going back and forth between both right. of them. Because I bought the birth partner on um, Kindle version mm-hmm. so that I can have it on my phone. And I, when I was doing the home birth that was, like, 18 hours, things kept coming up, and I kept, like, running in the bathroom and looking things up on my phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love so That was the other one that I have. I have it on my Kindle, and the hard copy is the birth partner. Mm-hmm. And it's more great because you can do the search terms. Like, you can, like, search. Yeah. yeah that that's is exactly really that's what I was doing. Um, I was at a birth that was ended up being 30 hours, um, and oh she 
needed so much. Like, she just, she couldn't get out of her head. So she kept asking questions, and I kept looking things up in the book. Um, and it was really, it was helpful for her to know things so that she could relax until another mm-hmm. thing came up. <laughs> I've also been found that, like, reading different articles as they're coming up in the news or, like, being posted and stuff, that it's now after reading this, it's sort of, like, in my mind, it's the original reference point, and then there's studies, like, in these new um, articles that are coming out and it's like, oh, wait, and then you can keep referencing back. It's just like such a such a great foundation um, mm-hmm. supplement to education for all of this. It's been great. Yeah. So overall, you feel like this is something you would want us to keep on the book list as required reading? Absolutely. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I think, I think it definitely should be on there for required reading, but I almost have to say, and maybe this is just me and I'm not great at retaining knowledge, but, like, when I read it in, like, October, mm-hmm. I feel like I didn't retain most of it. So I almost feel like yeah. I don't know if it's a book that someone needs to, like, sit there and read from beginning to end or if it right. just should be on there as, like, a I reference. Think, I, reference. I, I, I've, been, I've been thinking mm-hmm. about that also because I do think that it's great to read and I agree with that I kind of feel like it's definitely something that's going to be more of a reference point than like I retained Mm -hmm. all this information but just reading it the first time you get familiar with the layout and the layout of it gives you such an accessibility to all of the different studies in it so you get really familiar with how to use it and sort of flip around with it that Mm -hmm. you that it becomes like such an integral reference point so I think Mm -hmm. that keeping it as a required reading if not just for that reason is is good enough. Mhm. Yeah. I feel like I feel like there's sort of there's different styles of books that we have on the required reading list and this is definitely lends itself just to a more academic evidence based up to date, you know, book that mm-hmm. but I feel like without it I want our I want all of our doulas to have that knowledge and feel confident in in the actual research that's out there, you know, and mm-hmm. I like that they talk about it through normal physiology and kind of right. like this isn't, you know, like they they're seeing it through a particular lens um, of of you know what what creates unnecessary risk. Um, and the yeah yeah. And that they're like really honest about the studies too. I think is mm-hmm. is helpful, very helpful actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a little hesitant to because it seemed like there was the citations and then there were the, the things that read more like conjecture. I just, mm-hmm. it was hard to go back and forth. But I mean, I, I actually had a question. How do you pronounce? Is it iatrogenic? When you're talking about the negative effects of the medical model, I'm looking. Oh, I think so. Sounds right, right? I, yeah. I like the word stuck, and I'm using it. I don't know, like, use yeah. <laughs> the right pronunciation. But I think so. Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. I think that they're they they're definitely coming in with you know their own take on it. I mean, there's definitely that feeling when you read it, but. Um. You know, I feel like it's our job. We have to be really clear in what we're bringing to the clients as well, staff. Because I was in fear of like getting caught out there saying something that hasn't mm-hmm. been heard. You know? Yeah. So let's go through each person. Um, is Nikki? Are Nikki? Are you on? Could you just jump on? 
I did. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Doing well. Yes, just hiding in uh, my daughter's room right now. Okay. <laughs> it's a little quiet. Okay. Um, so let's go through and kind of, I'll, you know, let's um, start with a discussion of just what, what were the pieces that you learned? What are the chapters that really stand out and, or, you know, maybe a study that really spoke to you? Things you didn't know, things that you feel like. Like, I feel like there's a few chapters in particular that I constantly go back to. What, what, were, what were the things that you pulled from it? I'm just opening it up to anybody. Mm-hmm. Just for, like, my everyday life, like, the... The end, like when I'm talking about like why I'm passionate about doula care, and I'm talking to my friends who are not are not, are not mothers who have not had children. I really like the the end of the book about like um, about mid about midwifery and the care model of midwifery because I feel like it scares people. Like it's it's not what they know. Like there's this whole model that's in place that people know and then are seemingly then they're comfortable with of having an OB and having hospital births and so just having having statistics and knowledge about midwifery care and mm-hmm. go into the midwifery care under doctors and that's that's there that resonates so much to the work that I'm doing right now um and then just like midwifery care without doctors and what that looks like. So that's that's kind of the things that have been prevalent to me. Mm-hmm. Um, just like it is like the differences. The differences and even mm-hmm. if like I don't have even if I can't tell you that it's this is one hundred percent safer, I can mm-hmm. definitely tell you that it's one hundred percent not not safer. Like, you know, like, I can, I can tell, and I can tell, I can, I can give, give you examples why, like, going into a hospital birth and the, the precautions they're going to think they want to take, why those are not safer for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I'm talking to, like, like, my friends in my life that are, like, going to be mothers someday, like, these are the seeds I like to plant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they know that, like, these are things that are possible. Like, home births are safe. Midwifery mm-hmm. care probably is better for you. And, like, we, mm-hmm. I'm thinking more and more, like, just currently, like, there's more and more, like, ACOG. And, like, in the U.K., like, please, mm-hmm. please have your babies at home. Please have your babies with midwives. Mm-hmm. I think you, you make a really good point. better off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of other studies outside of this of this book too to back that up that midwifery care of the model of midwifery does, you know, um is safe and, and has really great outcomes. I think for so many couples that we meet, especially in those initial interviews, um, like those first points of contact, they they're they're not aware that different models of maternity care exist. 
they may have heard of a midwife, but there's not a clear understanding that there are very, you know, they're, they're most of the time big differences between how how they're practicing. Um, and so it opens up a, a conversation that I think can be pretty, you know, just general, um, where you can map out and have even a list of these are, this is an example of what the midwifery model of care is versus obstetrical model of care. And, you know, without having much of an opinion or swaying either direction with our own bias, but just presenting the two models next to each other. Um, yeah. I mean, the one thing I remember walking away from this book and thinking, which is very similar to what was just said, is like when it breaks out the different methods of care, the one way I always looked at the difference between like a midwifery and like a standard obstetrician is just like the midwifery model of care is very much that like you're a healthy woman doing something that your body is prepared and ready and normal to your body, whereas Mm -hmm. the obstetrician viewpoint is that you're sick and you need to be treated. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, and it's Absolutely. like we're going to troubleshoot the issues that are coming up with your body now instead of being like we're going to honor and respect the issues that are coming up with your body and not consider yeah. the issues. But what I remember Which, after reading all these studies, just sort of being like, okay, that's sort of really great information to have to share with people that already already feel this way. But I don't mm-hmm. know as a doula that I would be confident or even how I would go about presenting it to somebody who didn't necessarily lean in that direction mm-hmm. and, and how, like, how would I use these tools and these great studies to prove it to, or, or, or to help mm-hmm. them maybe make a decision that might be better for them, but without seeming like I have an agenda. I know it's so hard. Mm-hmm. Um, some of it may also be kind of asking questions that help that person self-reflect on what feels safe and comfortable. Like, Mm-hmm. Because so often I feel like if we're going to just call it the obstetrical model of care is about management of the body, mm-hmm. whereas the midwifery model of care is really pretty hands-off in terms of management. It's it's absolutely care, right? I mean, they're involved and there's a lot of individualized care, but um, in terms of like what we what they do, like literally like hands out of the vagina, right? Like they're not going mm-hmm. to be doing vaginal exams for the most part or they're not going to be doing as many ultrasounds. They're not, there's pretty low management, um, you know, and, and what makes that person feel comfortable and safe? And for some people, they'll want more testing. They'll want more information about what's going on on the inside and they may, you know, want to see an OB. Um, it's hard, though. It's, it is hard. Um, you know, and I think I'll have to find that list. I used to use it a lot when I was doing more childbirth education, but I had a pretty unbiased list of these are the two models. And, you know, one is like a pathology and a managed version of kind of what pregnancy looks like from, you know, the perspective that we do something in pregnancy, and one is kind of the opposite. Mm-hmm. That birth is something that's all, you know, growing a baby is something your body does on its own with very little interference. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some people, that will bring them great comfort and for others, great anxiety. You know, um, well, maybe that's one way, but it is hard. It's really. 
I think it feels especially hard being new at this. Like, yeah. as much as I feel like, oh, I've had two kids myself, and now I've done three births, and I'm like, but I still feel like mm-hmm. I'm, like, who am I to sit there and tell somebody, like, what they should mm-hmm. think when my experience is so limited? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's also pointing clients to rate of cesarean, rate of episiotomy, rate of intervention for every practice, for every hospital, like really kind of taking away from the, the personalization of, of a care provider and looking more at the institution. And like, what are the outcomes at this hospital? Is it a 47% rate, rate of cesarean or higher? Maybe that's something we're thinking about versus the home, you know, midwifery home birth or birth center practice that has a 12% rate or something like that. Like looking mm-hmm. at numbers with your clients to help them see some of the differences in terms of intervention and unnecessary unnecessary management. Um, and I think the problem you know, seems. Go ahead. Sorry. No, go it ahead. seems like this big problem is. The the very nature of the studies are being questioned. I mean, they devote so much time in the beginning of this book to how insufficient, you know, is the information that we have and how if it's valid, it probably needs to be further studied and how you get a proper um, objective cross-section because you can't really test this on women without impacting the study, like by their participation, they're saying that, you know, they... They don't care how their birth goes, or they're willing to leave it up to you. And um, I kind of really took, you know, away big gaping questions: What are the adverse effects of epidural? Yeah, like we don't know, and nobody's really been able to tell us that. You know, we know what can happen, but we don't know if that was like likely to happen. Absolutely, long-term effects of these medications, long-term effects of the chosen. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's, you know, I think people, I mean, yeah, well, if we're talking about how, how do we, how do we like disseminate the information so that people don't feel overwhelmed, judged, or that we have an agenda, it's, it's, you know, this is an ongoing conversation we're going to be having with clients because hopefully we're building enough of an intimate connection that they're starting to trust us and share those fears with us and, and then, you know, again, if they're not feeling listened to, if they're starting to feel pressured, we can look back at these are the different models of care. And this is maybe why each practice is, doesn't have a universal protocol here. They're operating, you know, from, from their own kind of choices in terms of like obstetrical, whatever, care, procedures, management. This isn't, there's no, there's no guidelines. It's pretty arbitrary, depending on who your doctor or midwife is, right? So someone's water will break, and they'll say, "Come in immediately," and someone else will say, "It's okay. We'll just check back in, for, you know, within 48 hours or 24 hours." Mm-hmm. Or a home birth midwife will say, "Great, let me come take your temperature, and if you're fine, and you know, 24 hours, we can wait a few days." So there's like huge, huge, widespread, you know, difference in protocol all the time. Um, yeah. What else? What else is, what else stands out? I have a bunch of notes here too if you guys need some help, but or things you wrote down or things you highlighted. 
Mm-hmm. I'm looking at page um, 277. Um, I have a, something by Strategies for Optimal Care, and I have asterisk doula's role. Um, I really like that chapter on epidurals um, and refer to it and, and share parts of that with clients that are thinking about it or want to know more. Um, what, can you repeat that page again? Or that chapter? Oh, 277. Okay. I'm just writing it down. I didn't bring my book home with me. Yeah. Just kind of like what, how can you still support strategies for optimal care? As it remains unclear to what degree women with epidurals require more than um, physiologic care, is active management of labor necessary to avert cesarean dystocia with patients and the judicious use of lower dose regimens work equally well? If the latter, we could avoid the adverse effects of high-dose oxytocin. Would delayed pushing and pushing in an upright position be more effective if studied in a setting providing physiologic care. We do not know. We do, however, get some tantalizing glimpses of the possibilities. It just goes on from there that what physiologic care um, should at least form the basis for care and clinicians should, and then it kind of gives like these bullet points on um, different things that you can do at the end. And I think as a doula, we can really take on and think about because I think there's that feeling of kind of like you may feel from the doula's perspective like there's not as much you can do because she lost her mobility, you know. But that um, there still really is quite a bit of support you can offer in that it's really she's not through the birth yet. So I really like that that chapter on epidurals. And also the risks too, which is 268 is really pretty. This chapter in epidurals, I definitely had marked to come back to and spend more time with. Is there information about, um, I just had a mom go, like, in your term, but, like, the the younger the gestational age is the baby, it's a more risk epidural, but I didn't take that information on the first one. The younger the mother, the more at risk? No, like, is is a younger baby, like an earlier baby, an earlier term baby, Mm. more at risk from an epidural? A preterm baby, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like pre or near term. Yeah. Um, they they have a hard enough time waking up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm looking at it. It's on 273. They have, she has a paragraph about, um, you know, the how do the effects epi and newborn care and neonatal behavior. Um 
it doesn't quite come to like a conclusion. It says definitely she brings up um, more challenges with breastfeeding. Um, I'm just reading while while I'm, while I'm on the phone here. Yeah, she says at the end of, as as regards um, to regards to neurobehavioral effects, we have yet to have a definitive trial, but the precautionary principle dictates that we assume epidural and intra intra how drugs to be guilty until proven innocent. That's what I say, and I use it when they're thinking sight, but mm-hmm. it's totally safe for the baby. But mm-hmm. and in your um, practice, have you seen that? Um, like the epidural that's turned on for longer, that you see more adverse effects with the baby or rather like hindrance to breastfeeding and so on, like difficulty waking up and getting started? I think it has to do with length. Yeah. So, you know, if a woman's had like an epidural for over 12 hours, you see higher risk of infection, fever, drowsiness of baby too, depending on how fast she dilates, right? And pushes. Yeah. I mean, it could be hours and hours and hours and hours. You know, and it's not like it's not just that. It's also, um, you know, hypertension of the uterus because most of the time, yeah, most of the time it's not just the epidural; it's pitocin. Yeah. So, you know, which just leads to higher risk of hemorrhage and exhaustion for the baby as well. Um. So sure, I mean, my, from just what I see from my own experiences, slower to start and sleepier babies, and you know, yeah. But not yeah. always. I mean, that's the other part. So not always. So sometimes maybe the epidural is only been four or five hours, you know, and the mother like gets the sleep she needs and then pushes. Baby's born, you know. So it's one of those. I think situations where you we can't say but it's definitely that the feeling and uh, yeah it's hard to it's hard that's hard to teach people people <laughs> want to have a study backing that up mm-hmm. the other chapter that um i think is really informative is the in the beginning the cesarean chapter yeah i was about to say if i'm being totally honest when i read that um, it made me feel kind of really overwhelmed for having to deal with um, clients after they do have a cesarean, after reading all this information, because it's kind of, I don't know, it's, it was sad, mm-hmm. <laughs> honestly. I mean, <laughs> I feel like it's, it provided such great information, especially for women who I think are, you know, contemplating maybe doing an elective cesarean it gave great studies as to why that you know maybe there you have other options um and there are a lot of things that i you know didn't know like the development of autoimmune disease and and that stuff but after reading all of it i did have a question of like i don't know it just kind of left me feeling a little overwhelmed and sad with like knowing all this information and dealing with the client after cesarean it's just yeah yeah, I felt I felt the same way. I, I I would be so nervous to share any of that information with a client at a prenatal 
feeling like it might be more information than they would need to need if they had to have yeah. a cesarean for some reason. Like, like and there's already so much guilt and, and feeling of failure right. for those women that I wouldn't want to feed that in any way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't want to overwhelm them. Right. Yeah. And I don't I don't think that you need to. I mean I don't think that, you know. Um yeah, I think they don't want to hear about like anal incontinence and like, you know, sexual dysfunction and mm-hmm, right. potential of death. I mean it's like <laughs> Right. I'm like you never know what child having on you hold on to. It's what'd you say? You never know what information people hold on to. Like when you right. them in a prenatal, you don't know what like sinks in that they are like totally panicked about that it's going to keep coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think especially with a cesarean, this is, that's probably the top of the fear of their fears, right? It's mm-hmm. like we made a list. It's usually in the top three. So, um, you know, I think when you look at... Um, like on on um, page sixty one, there's just strategies, the list of strategies. That mm-hmm. for me is like a lot, much more helpful from doula to client perspective. Um, these are the things that we could talk about that I think would you know that you're you're wanting women to not get an epidural too early, or you're wanting await spontaneous labor, refrain from rupture, rupturing membranes, encourage continuous labor support by a trained or experienced woman who are yeah, not hospital staff members. It's funny. I have all of this highlighted in my book, and then it's sort of like, I was like, oh, this is great. Like, this is exactly what I talked about. And then the whole chapter sort of happens. And mm-hmm. then I was like, oh, no. <laughs> right. And I think, like, cesarean birth has become, it's, you know, our the way that most of our culture thinks about it, it's pretty normalized. There's not right. a lot of, there's fear about it, but there's really, the fear is really not about the complications or the risk of dying or all the things that could go on in a major surgery. It's just, they think of the surgery and it's kind of like uh, a much more vague idea. But when you get into the details of what those risks really are, absolutely, it's scary, you know, for people. Um, so thinking about like a conversation around avoiding it is, is helpful because that list on page 61 is within, I think is a much more comfortable way of framing it. Mm-hmm. You know? What else, you guys? Or anything else going on, you know, if, if you're feeling like we can use our time in, in the best way we can while we're on the phone. If you have anyone needs to check in about something, we can also shift the conversation. I guess this is somewhat relevant and just it, it's not directly related to the book, but it's sort of like how do we share this information that we might know yeah. Um, MA, you sort of know where I'm going with this, but I had a birth on Friday night, Saturday morning, yeah. and it was actually a very good friend of mine. And she's someone that 
I know really well, but I think even if I didn't, I would have picked this up in our prenatals, but she's a very, like, um, I don't want to say, like, flighty, because that comes off in a negative way, and I don't mean it that way, but she's someone who's not, like, um, a sponge for knowledge. Like, she's not really into that. Like, she's more into, like, feeling good and being happy. And, and I think when too much information is thrown at her, she kind of shuts down a little bit and takes like one or two pieces of it and doesn't hear the rest. So I know this about her because I've known her for 15 years. But stepping in as her doula was really interesting in that regard because I, my last client was someone who was just like wanted everything. She wanted to know as much as she possibly could and learn as much as she could. And then with Colleen, I knew that that was not the case. Like, she really just didn't want to be scared and wanted to have a successful birth and just be, have, have everything be okay. And she sort of didn't want to know about the process too much. And um, so that was great, and her birth went really, really well. But immediately after the baby was born, she had some tearing, and the midwife needed to do some sutures. And her husband had left the room to go down to try and get them a private room, and so I was holding the baby, and I happened to look in the baby's mouth, like the baby was crying, and I noticed, like, a perfect heart-shaped tongue and, like, a pretty, um, like, right-to-the-tip tongue tie. And I knew from Colleen's prenatal that one of her biggest, like, I kept saying, like, what are you, what are your fears? Like, what can we work through and, and try and help? And she said she was really afraid of breastfeeding because she felt like she has heard so many horror stories about how difficult it is. And her mom tried to breastfeed her and her brother, and it didn't go well. So after two weeks or two months or whatever, she gave up. And so she's like, I really, just, I really, really want to breastfeed, but I feel like it's not going to work out. So I knew like, that she kind of had hesitations about it. And then I see what looks to me, you know, and obviously it's not an expert opinion, to be a, a tongue tie. So I really, like, didn't know what to do. She had had, like, a really fast, overwhelming birth. They were very happy. Her parents were coming in the room to see the baby. Like, I knew that was not the time to bring it up. And so I I pulled the midwife aside, and I told the midwife, I said, look, I'm not an expert. I'm just a doula, but I happen to see what looks to me like a tongue tie. Is this something someone can look into? And so she kind of brushed me off a little bit, and then she came back in an hour later, and I saw her checking the baby. And she kind of mentioned it to Colleen. She's like, there might be a little bit of a tongue tie there, but let's see how things go. Like, mm-hmm. she really just left it very loose, which to some people, they would hear that. Like, I know if I heard that, I would immediately, whether or not in that moment, I would immediately, like, file that information and be like, okay, tongue tie, must look into tongue tie. But, like, Colleen, I think all she probably heard from that statement is, let's just see how things go. I'm sure it'll be fine. Like, she just doesn't think in in that way. Like, mm-hmm. And... um so I went home and was like all day. It was all I could think about is like I feel like she's going to have trouble breastfeeding. I don't want her nipples to get damaged. I don't want this to be three days of drama in the hospital. They're going to give the baby formula. Like my mind was just like all over the place. So I called Emma. I called a friend who's a doula, and both you know everybody sort of agreed that I needed to bring it up with her, but in a way that was like soft and not overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went back the next morning and I brought it up with her, but I like feel like I totally botched it. Like she was just, I was like, so how's nursing going? And she's like, oh, you know, we tried a few times last night, but she's just not getting on there very deep. It seems really shallow. And so I went with her to the hospital breastfeeding class, which was really lame. <laughs> so we sat through that for like 45 minutes where they showed a video. The woman, the, the LC in the hospital didn't even have the five women that were in the room with her, like breastfeed in front of her. It was like purely informational, such garbage. 
So we left, and I was like, so how do you feel like things are going after seeing that? She's like, well, she's definitely not getting on there as deep as, as those videos. And I was like, yeah. So I said, you know, I was like, I didn't want to bring this up yesterday, which was the worst thing I could have said, but I didn't want to start it. I said, but, you know, I did notice like a little bit of a heart-shaped tongue, which as you saw in that video could be a sign of a tongue tie. And she sort of looked at me like, and I feel like it, like I hit her in the face with a brick. Like by saying I didn't want to bring this up yesterday, I made it seem like something was wrong and like felt horrible. And I was like, I just, you know, I said, let's just, um, I said, why don't we talk to, you know, have the LC from the hospital come in the room and let's see. But at that point, I just felt like I had totally, like, effed it up. And I didn't, <laughs> I needed to, like, sugarcoat a little bit. Yeah. So I was like, I, you know, I, I just kind of, like, had to step back a little bit. I was like, I just, like, have said this too many times now. Like, I recommended her seeing the LC in the hospital so many times that I, like, had overstepped, you know. And I just mm-hmm. felt like I, like, totally botched it. And now I'm sitting here being, like, afraid that she doesn't want to talk to me about it. Like, I don't even know. <laughs> That's where I'm at right now. I, Yeah. Yeah, you know, you're probably, you're, you're, I mean, did she ever say anything like that felt really bad? Like, or do you think you're being hard on yourself or did she really? She didn't like, say anything. She sort of yeah. looked at me and smiled and was like, oh, well, we're definitely going to have the LC come in. But like, yeah, she's just, I know that she's sort of like glazing over all this and I'm sitting here going like, this is going to be a bigger problem than she thinks. Mm-hmm. If, it, if it truly is a tongue tie, like she is not going to go home and be able to successfully breastfeed. Like, mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. yeah. And some of it's going to be that, you know, you've done what you can do. And it, it, I think maybe also just easing up on, like, that sometimes there really are no perfect words, you know? Yeah. Because you're concerned about your friends. Like, you're you're right. invested. And you're wanting her to avoid something that's going to be really challenging. And it's hard to say that to somebody right after they gave birth. Like, right. Like, if you feel like you're recovering now, well, the next couple oh, weeks are going to be hell if you yeah. don't deal with it. Yeah. Like, you don't, you know, and she's on her own journey and her own path. And we, mm-hmm. like, yes, a doula, and maybe it's a little harder because you are her friend as well, but to separate, you know, she's going to come to this. It may be in the middle of the night that she calls you, it may be in a week that it kind of clicks. It may be after someone sees her and is a little more forceful because they're whatever, they're the IVCLC and, ha- you know, feel they feel comfortable saying something more, you know, yeah. direct. Yeah. Um, yeah. It definitely but it's, I, made me think twice about being a doula for friends. Like, mm-hmm. it was sort of the first time where I was like, wow, I would be approaching this so differently if she was not a friend. I would feel so much more confident in that moment saying, like, as your doula, this is something I think might be worth looking into. But, like, with my friend, I was just, like, fumbling all over the place. Yeah. I think it's harder. I think you're, 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 you know, and it's harder. And then it's, what's really going on is that you really care for somebody. And, you know, like, the deeper intention and the true good intention is really that you want to help her. Right. And you may want to come from that perspective, yeah. you know. And sometimes I feel like when you're caught in a challenging conversation as a doula friend or just doula to client, just being honest about, you know, I, I, I don't want to freak you out. I don't want to scare you. I don't want it to be more overwhelming. I just I can't care. I, 
I've seen this, I've heard about it, and I just want to help you before it becomes something that's more overwhelming for, for you. Right. I, I, you know, and it's like, I, ho- I know I'm not maybe using the best words or the right words, but it's yeah. I care about you so much, and I just yeah. please know I'm here to help you, fi- help you figure this out if you're feeling like you really need to, because you may have to, you know, right. and just be honest about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't know. Does anyone else have any feedback or anything to share about how to approach something like that? You're sort of absolved because you're not in a position to diagnose it. So you just mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's almost, I don't know, it's really hard for sure with it being a friend, but I like to, like, say to people, I'm taking off this hat and I'm putting on this hat. And, Mm -hmm. like, there's a big difference here. But sometimes you're absolutely right. They just don't want more information. And, you know, maybe if you check up a few times and be like, how's it going? How's it feeling? Like, you know, can't offer Mm -hmm. you any more support. I have some, I have a great CLC I'd love to send over to your house, you know? Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a hard one. Can you send her to Caritas on Wednesday? She did the <clears throat> she did the child mm-hmm. that she's entitled to the, the one free breastfeeding clinic at ten o'clock on Wednesday. Yeah, I might bring that up to her. I'm just at this point I'm sort of like wanting to hear her come to me a little bit so I don't keep saying like like now it's almost like I'm willing breastfeeding trouble on her. So I'm, I'm right. like, she just went home today, and I'm like, let's just be like, I'm going to call her tonight when we get off this and see how her transition home went. And I My think I'm just going to gonna, like leave. Yeah. What was that? No, I, I always offer to go with them. Like mm-hmm, just as mm-hmm. like a little bonus, like, oh, and I'll stop by this space. And, you know, if you go, mm-hmm. like, let me know. I'll go with you. Right, right. How is the baby doing? Like, how is her milk coming in? Is the baby, is her supply, you know? I mean, the baby was born Saturday morning, and as of, um, I, I, I saw her 24 hours later, and so I don't think anything had come in yet. Mm-hmm. She wasn't having much success with breastfeeding at that point, but I feel like that's also not that abnormal for the first 24 hours. Like, baby was really sleepy. Um, she said, you know, I said, just make sure you're putting her to the breast every two to three hours. And she said she was. She said, you know, one of the nurses helped her get a good latch once. But it didn't seem like she was being very um, diligent about it. Like, it was more just like, I'm trying my best, you know, in a very blunt yeah. way. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she's such a different person than me that I am trying, like, really hard to not be overbearing. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's where the friend piece, like just the trigger of like maybe the trigger of different personalities and how, you know, for one woman, like they would be right on top of it, but maybe Mm -hmm. the fear of like just her being a little more laid back is that that's going to spiral and snowball into this, you know, Mm -hmm. situation that's not right. That you're trying to help her avoid. That's really it. 
Right. Mm-hmm. You know, Liz, I did the same thing with my friend, um, and she ultimately couldn't hear, actually, it was in her case, reassurance that she did have enough milk until she paid the IBCLC to come over and tell her. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, I'm sorry, the same thing, you know. Right. But also, her pediatrician's going to see her, what, tomorrow? It's not today. So mm-hmm. there's there's going to be some reality in there. Yeah. Sometimes, I mean, my friend Karen, who had the baby, had a horrible twin tie and caused oh, all sorts yeah. of damage. Pediatrician totally missed it. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyone else want to check in about something? Anything that's going on? I might have oh, feedback coming. Oh, sorry. You might have feedback coming? What was that? I, I have a meeting a girl tomorrow and um she's asking for like a last minute doula for a six twelve uh E D D and she's a V back and it's number two. And mm-hmm. I am just like, Well, this is something new. And she wanted somebody with V back experience, but I don't is there anything in particular to know about that? I mean from the myriad of things that, you know, could and will happen, like, what is, what is a VBAC, you know, what's, what's important to know when you're heading into that situation? Mm-hmm. Where is she, where is she laboring, where is she, where, like, who is she with, like, is she? She's with Downtown Women, and she's uh, going to NYU. I'm going to post um, something on our page right now while we're chatting. Awesome. Um, hold on one second. Make sure I have the right one. I think it's called V-Backs. That's V-Backs-Facts, I think, .com, but it's a woman named Jen Camel. Um, let me just make sure. Yeah, looks like it's the right one. I'm going to post this because it was like I'm really full of tons of information. Um. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of different things that come up for VBAC moms. Um, you know, just really taking the time to work through the previous experience and working, you know, working with her so that she's really clear about not um, well, not not that not carrying it over, but just what those triggers would be. So it could be something like if a woman you know, was labeled a failure to progress and she never made it past, let's say, four centimeters. You know, when I've been with VBAC moms and they actually make it past those benchmarks, the places where things went a different direction or the places where there was an emergency or whatever it is, those are huge hurdles in the VBAC labor and in the process. Um, So whatever her story is about, it could be about these cells, it could be about, you know, post dates, it could be about, centimeter, it could be whatever it is, and getting really clear about where were those places that, you know, in her story that maybe she's afraid of with this next birth. Um, And just, you know, doing as much as you can ahead of time to support her in in having an unmedicated 
experience. Mm-hmm. Some care providers will use some Pitocin and an epidural, some, but not all, will be comfortable doing that with a VBAC mom. So you're going to be looking really at more, you know, unmedicated support. Right. Yeah, I'd heard that, and especially I think that her first was only like two, two and a half. So it hasn't been so very long. Yeah. And um, really helping to create a strong pattern at either in early labor, you know, in active labor, but really kind of creating that space so that her hormones are are really kicking in, you know. Mm-hmm. And either that's going to happen for her, she'll feel more comfortable going trans, being at, at the hospital a little bit earlier so she can start to feel more comfortable because some feedback moms are feeling more anxious if they're laboring at home. Um, or um, setting that up, setting up that environment once you get to the hospital. That's an interesting point, getting the hospital sooner. It depends on her story so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, but I would absolutely be thinking about a lot of emotional support and really making a point to go deeper and finding out kind of what 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 her fears are, what was the story, and, and how she healed and processed. Because some, some women that have, you know, prior cesarean have not experienced labor at all, and others had maybe three days of labor and pushing. So they're coming into it with really different perspectives. We certainly don't give them space to get the feelings out after the cesarean. No. That's part of That's really helpful points. Thank you. Yeah, and if you want, we can follow up with a mentorship call, too. Um, yeah, after I meet with her, I just might take you up on that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of really great information, too. Like I'll start posting and sharing. Even just reading the back stories could be really helpful. And sharing those stories with her, too, to kind of boost her confidence, you know, if she's feeling fear. Birth Without Fear blog has tons of great VBAC stories. And um, actually, my friend Sarah just wrote one for DTI. We posted it for um, for Cesarean Awareness Month. And it was a really powerful VBAC. And she did have an epidural and other medications, but, um, you know, it was totally that's what she needed, and they were willing to, to do that for her. Um, and a really empowering story. So, you know, sharing those kind of stories, too, is, is a one way to help her. And with Liz, I, I always, like, err on the side of not wanting to, like, travel them or worry them, but then I feel bad that I'm not passing along enough information, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. Birth stories are magic. I'll post this one on that page. Awesome. Anyone else? Nikki, how are you? I know you're probably like with your baby and it's late for you, but are you still on? If you're not, it's okay. I am, I am. I just have the phone on mute. 
Hi. I just wanted to take a minute to check in with you. Um, <laughs> to be honest, it's been a lot harder, and I know every time we end up talking on these, we're like, okay, yes, I need to spend some time talking to you one-on-one, and then yeah. you get off the phone, and <laughs> it's just chaos the, the rest of the time. Um, but yeah, I'm just, mm-hmm. I've been just kind of laying low and getting my things that are easier to do, I guess, you know, with my kids around done. Um, and I know it's like getting to the end and I'm just kind of stalled on getting out there and being like, okay, I can, um, you know, take clients, take a birth. I just, I am just, I really, I think about it and then I just kind of push it off because it starts to get overwhelming and I'm not quite sure uh, what to do, I guess. My friend that I had that uh, was kind of one of my support to be able to watch my kids if in the event that my husband's at work or my mom's at work, she just got a job. So she's no longer a stay-at-home mom, and I don't have her, and she was kind of one of my big parts of this. And, of course, I understand that, obviously. You know, she needs to do what she needs to do for her family, but now I'm like, ah. Uh, you know, I just get nervous about the time that if it's the time that, you know, both of my other support are working, how am I going to get through, you know, I guess that part of being a doula, having my kids watch and knowing that they're safe and comfortable and happy and that it's, you know, just someone that I don't even have to really think I can put, you know, my mom duties on hold for the time being. So that's kind of Mm -hmm. pushed me back to even putting myself out there. Yeah. Yep. You've got so much going on just with your kids. (laughs) Yes. So, um, how, what would be what would be most helpful? Like, if we set a time, even maybe like a, a shorter amount of time, so it feels less overwhelming. Like maybe a twenty minute window or a thirty minute window, where we can email me some of your top, you know, mm-hmm. concerns, and then we can talk so that it's, it feels more attainable and just feasible right now for you. Um, so that. You know, we can make a plan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think if I can email you what I want to talk about first, I guess that would help. So <laughs> I guess maybe you could have a little time to think about it, and that would yeah. also help uh, our conversation go more smooth so we can get through as much as possible in whatever time my kids allow me to have <laughs> yeah. before they need me. Yeah, I can do that. I can definitely do that. Let's do that so that you feel like you can, you know. I don't want you to feel like like there's no way to to get the support that you're needing right now, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I remember what it's like to have a toddler and a baby. It's hard. (laughs) Yes. And it's like, you know, things are getting easier as far as their concern, but just the other parts have taken a back seat. And it's like, okay, well, it's not a bad thing, but it's just how to work those things in little by little again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anybody else? Ashley, it was great to see you the other day. 
Thank you. It was so good to just to be around other doulas and feel, feel your power. It was really, it was yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, I recently had a, a midwife suggest a book to me. It was another um, Penny Simkin book. It was called The Labor Progress Handbook. And she actually pulled it out for me a couple times when I was laboring with a mother who was Spanish-speaking. And my Spanish is not proficient. Uh-huh. And um, she had also, she was also um, getting, getting an epidural. So um, she had she had taken me back and, like, helped me, like, find a birth ball. She would, she'd basically take me to an area where I wasn't supposed to be and got me a birth ball. And was like showing me, showing me some, some some things I could do while like working inside of this hospital. Um, and then also was like, if she has an epidural, like, well, she she was getting an epidural, and then was like, take a look, take a look at this book. It's it's been helpful for me. Now joining. Hey. Hello. Hello. Hi, it's Frankie. I'm catching like the tail end of the call. (laughs) We were just doing like a final check-in and then we're hanging up. (laughs) Oh, sad face. (laughs) It was great seeing you too, though. It was great seeing you. Yeah. Oh, I'm so sad I'm not in New York anymore. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be able to see at least a couple of you. I'll be back um, for a couple of days in the next coming week and a half. So. Oh, good. Yay! <laughs> um, well, um, I'm, I'm seeing that it's... A few minutes over, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say goodnight and um, let's just continue talking. I think I want to look into this before we get off, just to see what our next. This is our last one. Did we have one in July? I'm looking. Yeah. Yeah, too. Let me just check our file here. I think it's on the six. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so um, that's what I thought. It's our last call. So what we'll do is, um, you know, for anyone who feels like they may need the extension, just um, reach out to me and we'll, you know, it's open to everyone if you need it. Um, and it's two months. So um, it's good to kind of have a sense now so that you can start planning to to do what you need to do. And we can and, and call me for sure. If you email me, I'll email you back. And I, um, and you know, we'll set up a call specific about the extension. And then um, if not, if there's anything that you need help with for, you know, the remaining time, just let me know because we're close. All right. Okay. Thank you. Good to hear everybody's voices. Good to hear your voice, too. Call me. I will. Okay. 
Bye, guys. Good night. Bye. Good night. Bye. Good night.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.